This is the Scott Bradley Show podcast. But let me introduce the brightest panel in Hamilton Radio for this Friday. On your right speaker, a guy who has been here many, many times, and we're always thrilled to have him, Scott Urquhart, formerly of CHCH. That's where you probably know him, but now of Irked Freelance, U-R-K-E-D, irkedfreelance.com, for all your writing, freelance, and... Lyric writing needs. You ever written any songs? Uh, no songs. No, not uh, yet. No, a couple of speeches. No songs. Would you, if someone called up and said, "I need a song written," would you do lyrics? I'd try. Sure. Sure. All right. Sure. Well, there you go. Someone call him up, pay him his whatever, and see if he can write a song. I'd love to see that. And next to him, on your left speaker, a guy who, for the longest time, you knew him as the person behind Festival of Friends, and you know him from his regular. That's every week appearances on the O Show on Cable 14, soon to be on summer hiatus, I understand. Lauren Lieberman, thanks for coming in. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. It is, you are going on hiatus. I am. You just can't take your co-host 12 months of the year, that's what it is? Well. You can hear her on Bill Kelly every morning, so it's okay. I, witness relocation program is <laughs> more like it. Hey, you know what? I bet if I had to guess, there is a, um, a topic that may come up on your show in your last show before summer. And I want to ask you guys about it, because if people have been listening to this station throughout the day today, they've they've been well-versed on this. Uh, if they haven't been listening to this station during the day, well, shame on you, but glad you're here now. A municipal board ruling the other day has decided that Hamilton establishments cannot play music outdoors. And I guess I kind of understand the the general concept of why. But this seems like that proverbial using a sledgehammer to kill a flea, doesn't it? This, this, this seems like just such an overreaction to allowing neighbors to have quiet neighborhoods that I, I, I don't understand it. I really, this one caught me off guard today because it just seems to me like whoever it is who made the decision on the municipal board uh, must be 107 years old and wants to have their dinner at 4 o'clock and then retire to bed after watching Wheel of Fortune. I can't, ex- I, I mean, either of you, I, I, is there any other explanation for how any right-minded people would look at this thing and go, yeah, we should ban all outdoor music in the city of Hamilton? So, so two points I want to quickly jump in with. Um, it's very important that we're Music City Canada, that we can't have any play it at, right? Like, yeah, that's some quality branding right there. And this all comes out of Sarkoa. That's certainly where it got right? to start. There was a big fight about Sarkoa, yeah. And I think we all know now that Pier 8 and the waterfront is not for Hamiltonians. It's for Herman Turkstra. It was his defense. It's his private playground. That's the way he wants it. He wants it quiet. He doesn't want development. Like, he's been pretty clear in what he wants, and he won one. So good for him. But there's other people who were involved in this protest. It was a, multiple, it was a multitude of people. Absolutely, but he's the guy who brought it to the OMB. And he's the guy who is always kicking up issues around Sarkoa, around waterfront development and otherwise. And I know the issue is music, but this is a Sarkoa issue. I'm not picking on Mr. Turkstra. He was very effective. No, but it's it, but again, I'm looking at the OMB and I'm thinking, Scott, even if it is, even if it's one person or if it's a group of people mm-hmm. or whatever the circumstance, how does a bunch of, how do a bunch of people sit there and say it makes sense to completely ban people's ability to play music outside whether even if it's i think the previous bylaw was it had to be 60 decibels and it had to stop by 11 o'clock that seemed more than reasonable to me definitely yeah and definitely I'm, more I'm, than reasonable more yeah. than reasonable and i'm not 15 years old anymore and wanting to have back in black playing at a thousand <laughs> decibels all through the night i mean i still like that stuff but i get that we want to be able to sleep at night but that seemed like a completely fair expectation i thought well, I, I, is it uh, is it finally decided? I, I had understood it was still an appeal process. Yeah, but they can't process. do it right now as it still works its way through. Right. But the, so but the, the summer dis- is shot is yes. basically yes. what we're saying here. Yeah. Yes. The summer has gone. Yeah. And for Hamilton, it's own development. I guess in some ways, um, if you're going to have a summer that's shot, this would be the one to choose because the Pier 8 and waterfront stuff isn't really up and rolling yet. Though it is our but, 150th birthday. Yeah. But once that once that development starts to you know come along, come online and, and grow, uh, this issue is going to be you know a, a killer issue for city hall, for uh, the province, for the OMB, for residents, for everything. And you've, it's the same 
problem you always have where you have two competing interests sharing the same space. And is this for the good of the city or is it unfair to the neighbors? But why just music? And I say that because what happens if you have a large party, you're down on in Hess Village and you have hundreds of people out on the patios at night and, you know, you get that many people and the conversation gets up and people are laughing and they're yelling and they're, uh, what was the, what was worse about music than about that? If we're just talking about noise pollution in the city. Again, I, I'm looking at this going, to me, the logic is not there. Sure, but you will get um, a party in your backyard shut down at 11 o'clock if it is being noisy, whether there is music or not. Noise bylaws, noise bylaws. That's right, but that's at 11 o'clock. Yes. And generally, the neighbors, if, you're, if, if you have decent, a decent relationship with your neighbor and you have the occasional gathering and the music is you up. You invite the, them. Yeah, or even if you don't, even if it's up, even if you've got something else going on, you know, if you're not doing this every night, you're not driving them nuts. You probably, for your neighbor, go okay. They're out there. We a couple summers ago, or last summer, I guess, there was a wedding reception in the backyard, two or three over from us, and it was loud, and the music was pumping, and they had, they had brought in, I think, some special speaker that intentionally shook the foundation of our house. But you know what? We thought, okay, you know what? Look, it's a wedding. How can we possibly? Be upset. And we weren't. We were happy that they were having a good time. They don't do it all the time. So we were like, great, knock yourself out. But why would music, I go back to my question, why would music be bad, be not allowed, but every other volume? What if I, what if I bring over a thousand people into my, into Hess Village and we have a big gathering and the place is just deafening? Scott, would you have felt the same about that wedding if it was happening, say, three, four nights a week, every week? I probably would. I probably would, but... I would say the same thing. This was why I mentioned this wedding was that this didn't stop at 11 o'clock. This went till one or two or whatever it was. We were uh, lost track of time. But if if every night they had people over and at 11 o'clock they shut it down, okay. But I think, Scott, to be fair, the, the equivalency would be if they were having weddings three, four nights a week, every week across from Mr. Radley's home, mm-hmm. but that Scott bought a home next to where they have weddings every three or four. Well, I, I mean, there's that's that true. If there's a do. banquet center there. But right. if, if it's just somebody's house, that's a different No, but all, this is a right? business. This is a business thing because okay. it's, the, it's the, no, and, and I get your point for sure, but this is, go to what Lauren just said. If you buy a house in a block, if you buy your house near Hess Village, you have to expect there is going to be some noise. If you buy a home near the landing strip of an airport, See, I've always had a problem with this. People who, and we've seen this happen occasionally, people who buy a home near an airport and say, you know, it's it's just, uh, we have to shut. The yeah. planes yeah, it's too noisy. We got to stop flying in late at night. That but, was Councillor Ferguson's point in regards to there's too much traffic on the street I live on. Then what would you move to Aberdeen, Cannon, King, Maine for? Like, well, but everybody's it, it comes down to the vision, uh, vision of the harbor and what we want to do with it, I think. And for decades, um, without Stelco's involvement. Uh, the harbor, for the most part, come 11 o'clock at night, has been a pretty quiet place. For a long time, you didn't want to go down around the harbor at that time of night, period. So, well, I you mean, didn't go out because the, the stuff was the, was falling on your, uh, your that, property n- that by that then. That other reasons. Other yeah. stuff was flying, too, you know. But, uh, yeah, you, you, you didn't... It was a quiet, quiet area and has been traditionally. And the plan is now, we're going to change that. We're going to go in a different direction. But the traditional, you know, last 20, 30 years, it's pretty quiet down there at nighttime. So I can understand, you know, Mr. Turkstra uh, spearheading this, and he's a very good lawyer. No doubt about that. Um, But what you've got is a fundamental difference in in what vision you want to see for your city. He wants to see a quiet, bucolic kind of, you know, enjoy the water and the waves and the wind and the trees and that kind of stuff. And uh, the vision for the city is quite a bit more activity and uh, people-centered uh, focus than than what Mr. Uh, Turkstra would prefer. But the other part about this that I find troubling or confusing, I guess, is let's, let's take your point then, Scott. We're going to have the waterfront as a designated quiet zone. This thing that happened... Covers the entire city. So even if, okay, you know what? The sound from Sarkoa, because again, you're right, Lauren, that's where this whole thing sort of got its legs and started. Because the Burlington who was complaining. That's right, because the sound is going across the water. So, okay, we acknowledge anyone who's ever been up on a lake knows if there's a party in the lake, the sound travels across the water. But now you're up on the mountain 
and you have a restaurant up there or you have one of those pop-up patio things that we're allowed now and you can't have that tens of kilometers away from where this whole thing got started. It's just, it's, it's such a broad swath and it just seems like I go back to the OMB. I'd love to know who these people are who make these stupid, broad, general decisions. All or nothing kind of decisions. That there's, no, there's no thinking through, well, maybe, what, what effect will this actually have if we make a, everybody covered by the same, it, I don't so know. So the city of Hamilton needs to declare a part of, Martial law from the OMB. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Um, An entertainment district, and then you will be exempt from all those rules like sections of Toronto are. But, okay, uh, I don't know how long that kind of thing takes, and I assume then that if you were to declare or outline what an entertainment district is, folks who didn't like noise some places could also rise up and go to the MB and say, I bought a home and now they're declaring it an entertainment district. And if you if you can get this passed, why could you not get that one passed and say, I, like, I don't think that even though you said, and you're correct, even though you said this is just the summertime thing in a shop, but it's still working. I don't, if this could get passed, I don't mm-hmm. see why it can't become a more permanent thing. Clearly the argument, the soft spot in the argument has been found. Just keep arguing that way. And I, I, I look at this and I, I feel badly for people who have outdoor establishments. We have, what, four months, maybe? If we have a great season, we have four months. The 100 magic days of summer, right? That's right. Not even four months. But if, if things go terrific, we get four months of good weather. You can have silence for the other eight. You can lock yourself in a cone of silence, go into the Get Smart, Maxwell Smart cone of silence. You can soundproof your house and like not hear anything. So there's been a reoccurring theme in the live music world suggesting that um, shows start too late. And maybe if people started going out earlier, um, an 11 o'clock curfew but that's what was you know why they don't go out earlier. You know why they don't go out earlier. The pre-drink. Yeah, they can't afford uh, the right. prices at the bars. I get it. No, but yeah. even even festivals are going to have to deal with this. But uh, what is there? I didn't see. Is there a rule now? What happens with um, you got? You need to apply for a noise bylaw exemption to be able to go longer, and that's not automatic. Now, Festival of Friends or something will get theirs. There's no way that this is going to override that. I would assume uh, that's up to seat. And the city will determine uh, what is suitable and what is not. I, I, I find it hard to believe that there could possibly be a ruling that would say any outdoor concert, period. We just had one at Tim Horton's Field. Which was really loud. You could hear it south of Carmen's. Just imagine how far away that is from the stadium. I believe that. What was, what's the name of the country singer who opened the first concert? Uh, Meredith Nicole Kidman. Um, Keith Irving. Keith Irving. My sister-in-law was very ill and was up at the Jurovinsky Hospital when that concert was on. She had a corner room with glass windows. We were up visiting her and we could, it had a straight line, but could down the hill, we could hear the concert perfectly in her room yeah. through the closed glass sure. windows. Now, the fact that Keith Urban is a pretty benign, inoffensive, pop country kind of music that not too many people are going to be offended by. I don't know if I didn't hear of the city getting any complaints. Now bring in ACDC or bring in Fitty Cent or bring in anything and, and, and you have that and now you've got that going through the city and I, you know what, you'll get a ton of complaints. Mm-hmm. There's kind of an irony here too in that uh, uh, Burlington always has its Summer Sound of Music Festival. Uh, it's booming away over the, over the lake and uh, you know, around all those high-rise condos that are right near the park there. And we haven't heard anything about noise complaints from that area. Maybe it's time to fire back. <laughs> Return fire to Burlington now. We've got to shut Burlington down and make sure they can have no music. We're going to have a, like a silence, Southern Ontario, the golden horseshoe of silence. Yeah, like how many other cities in, in Ontario have that, that kind of restriction on them? That's a great question. And I'm not aware of any. I mean, certainly Toronto, you can have music. You can have, and, and other places, yeah. go to Montreal, go to, I mean, go. Well, you can do anything in Quebec. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Again, Ottawa's not so much though. This I mean, is our 150th anniversary, mm-hmm. 150th year for Canada. And it just seems this would be a year that you would have a lot of people that would want to be out. And if I, you know what, honestly, if I'm a bar owner and I'm getting close to July 1st or on that weekend, I'm playing the music. 
take, I'll, the, take the fine and carry no, on. But I'll take my chances. Who, what? What? Is there a neighbor who is honestly going to call the... Sure there is. Well, maybe. Oh, yeah, for sure. Maybe. Call the bylaw. And is the are the bylaw people going to come by and really well, that's make just a fuss? It. That's just it. They on July first. It's our it's our sesquicentennial. I'm sorry, you must keep it down. We can't have any noise. At 11:05, you can't call City Hall and get a bylaw officer. You call the police. They say call bylaw, right? So what happens is you call this weekend for next weekend if they a if preemptive strike. Yeah. yeah. I, maybe I that's the solution. Maybe City Hall, maybe the Just shut their phones down early? No, no. The, the council <laughs> just has there. to say, tell, tell their bylaw division, do not enforce. Yeah, you're just, t- just tell people you're really busy and you can't get there. Yeah. There's not that many. All bar club owners, anybody with a patio, make noise all at once on Canada Day. There's not enough bylaw officers. Well, they're all out trying to find alleyways with garbage that uh, have been, has been cleaned up yes. so they can give tickets. But anyway. No, it's... um. I, if yeah, if I was if I were if I owned a bar, I would be this week on the phone to all the other bar owners. You're exactly right, and I would say they're not going to ticket all of us. So let's all break this by. And I'm not a I'm not a bylaw, and I don't want to. I'm not talking again about blasting the eardrums off people. But if you play it at a reasonable sound at a low level, and you have a little tunes, play it in, maybe play it inside, but just play it loud enough so it carries out to your patio. The boys who who own Sarcoa and embroiled with their lawsuit with the city, love this ruling because it negates the lease they signed with the city of Hamilton or the Waterfront Trust or whomever. Can't the same be said for any bar owner who used to have an acoustic guitar playing singer-songwriter on their patio, that this was a part of my business, and now you screwed me. My patio business is no good. Sue the city? So No, but like I'm not paying Sue the, the fines. Sue the Well, yeah. Because mm-hmm. um, this is the way it was, and you changed the rules you, on me. We've got to go to break. Can you sue the OMB? No, I don't think you can. I think they're a quasi-judicial uh, body. So if, you, if, you, if Lauren is right and you had a business that was heavily reliant on having that ambiance and that music and a live... Whatever. Right, so you don't sue the, sue the OMB, you sue the enforcers of this new bylaw. The bylaw office from Hamilton, City of Hamilton, City of Hamilton yeah. except they're required to, allegedly, allegedly, because it's, it's, been, it's been put into place. So I, I don't know, I but I would, it, would be, it would be interesting to see if suddenly a whole bunch of these bars said, we're filing a lawsuit because we've just lost tens of thousands of dollars sure. this summer, and, yeah. and let's see what the city does now. And again, you know, you know what the problem is anytime you talk about someone suing the city? It's us who pays for these yeah. things. One way or another, we're the, you know, we're the schmoes who end up paying for the, uh, for the lawsuits. We all think it's a great idea. Oh, yeah. But, and then you go, oh, wait, that's my taxes that are going up. Anyway, it is, uh, it is a ridiculous, ridiculous situation that, as Lauren says, a city that bills itself, and in many ways, is the music city. We just had the Juno Awards here a couple of years ago. We've got concerts and people coming out of here all the time. The uh, Arkells just were announced that they're playing the NHL awards on Wednesday night. They're going to be the, the big act and we can't have music here in the city. Maybe we just have to have hundreds of acapella groups popping up everywhere. <laughs> Barbershop quartets. Tremendous. They're too loud. <laughs> yeah, too loud until the complaints come. You're listening to the Scott Radley Show weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Because I heard something today that I thought was really interesting, and we have about a minute each for you guys to give your thoughts on this. Former President Obama um, inducted Jay-Z this week into the Songwriters Hall of Fame. Gave a long rambling, well not rambling, a long speech, a long uh, introduction, talking about him as a great friend and how great a songwriter he is and all the rest. And... I don't listen to Jay-Z. I've never been, I mean, I've, I listen, you know, I hear Beyonce now and again. I really, other than that New York song, I don't really know much of Jay-Z's stuff, but I went and looked up a bunch of his lyrics and you know what? There are a lot of lyrics that are absolutely beyond filthy, beyond misogynist, beyond sexist, beyond racist. The N-word pops up all the time. F-bombs show up all the time. Uh, calling women uh, the name we use for female dogs pops up all the time. What is, is this something, even if you're his friend, if you are a president of the United States, is this an introduction based on his lyrics and he's going into the songwriter hall of fame? You're honoring him for this. Not talking about President Obama's politics, but is this something that you say, I'm going to take a pass on just because of the content of what we're talking about? Well, first thing that pops into my mind is perhaps this is just a cultural division. 
you know, uh, old white guy like me, I don't get it. I just don't get it. Absolutely. But, fair, fair point. But there are millions of people in the United States who are huge fans of Jay-Z and yes. his work. And to them, that's all appropriate. It makes sense. Uh, having Obama introduce him as a friend, why not? We would let, uh, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau uh, introduce Randy Bachman, maybe, or something like that, you know? Yeah, but Whatever. if Randy Bachman had used terms that were derogatory to women throughout his career and racist terms that are confusing, because again, there's a lot of white kids that listen to rap music. And mm. if you're 12 or 13 and you hear the N-word over and over again, I think it's confusing to them about whether or not that's okay to use it. You and I understand you can't, at least I like to think we do. But, and then the former president says, hey, this guy's great. Listen to his stuff. I listened to it in the White House, in the Oval Office, as we said. I'm looking going, I, I don't know that, I'm not dumping on President Obama. I'm just saying, I don't know that this is the one you latch on to, to be so backing. I've, I've figured out that the older I get, the less the world makes sense. <laughs> and there are different rules for different people. So if an artist paints a painting in an indigenous fashion, that's cultural appropriation. But if Gord Downey does a concept album about the um, terrible, uh, it's a, it's a made up story of, of an amalgam of various stories about uh, um, the schools and, and all that, he's a hero. You get the Order of Canada. Right, and it's two artists in different genres that do the exact same thing. So my point back to Jay-Z is, um, it's not mis misogynistic. It's not. You don't understand it. Ice Cube was on Bill Maher and explained it to me that they own their terminology, and I don't mean black people, I mean hip hop culture, mm -hmm. owns their terminology and they will use it the way they see fit and redefine things. And so, no, it's we don't get it. We're not supposed to get it. Okay. Let me, your point is, uh, and, and Scott said it too, I've got one minute here. Your points are both, I understand the cultural differences. We are three white guys sitting here talking about this. However. It's not a white thing either though. It's not. Let me, I, I'm going to, I'm going to read you a line, the top lines, and I've got to skip about half the words sure. in here from one of his songs, one of his hits called Big Pimpin'. Mm -hmm. All right. It's big pimping, baby. It, oh, no, i got to skip. I'm going to go down here. You know, I thug him, F him, love him, leave him, because I don't mm, need him. Take him out of the hood, keep him looking good, but I don't mm, feed him. First time they fuss, I'm breezing. On and on and on. This is not by any definition of people listening to this. This is not respectful of women. No, this this is, is, is 21st century poetry expressing the black urban plight and you're missing it entirely, it would be the answer that he'd give you. No, I, I, yeah. But does a, and again, we got to go, but does a former president represent all Americans? Maybe he understands it. Maybe. Maybe he I just, just wants to be cool. I, well, maybe he just wants to be cool. Too. I, I just looked at this and I, I again, you, you, all these things are accurate. The fact that it does represent different culture, I, I understand that part. And I think that if he was introducing almost anybody It'll be really cool. But when you are introducing someone into the Songwriter Hall of Fame, which is for the songs and lyrics they've written, and these are the lyrics they've written, I think it's very confusing and very questionable. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. Again, Scott Urquhart, Lauren Lieberman in studio. Uh, guys, I want to pick up a discussion I had last night. I had a doctor on from the University of Washington. We were talking about a study that's just been done. It's a massive worldwide study, 195 countries and territories, over 25 years about obesity in the world. And apparently, according to this study, 2.2 billion people on the planet are now overweight or obese. No one in this room, but we're the three exceptions to the rule. <laughs> Thanks for giving me the benefit of the doubt there, Scott. Um, but here's the thing, and, and we, I wanted to talk to him further about it, and the line we had, the connection we had with him was not good last night, and so we had to get rid of him, and I thought, you know what, I'll bring it up with you guys, because I, I find this really interesting, and also one of those topics that you wander through at your own peril, because you will, there will be those who will be outraged, no matter which way you go on this one. We have in recent years, obviously the world has, and North America certainly has an obesity problem, which leads to health problems, which leads to healthcare costs, which leads to death, which leads to horrible diseases and all these things. Everybody knows you should not be obese or 
heavily overweight. And yet we have seen in many areas people trying or believing that it's a good idea to normalize obesity or overweightness. There are TV shows now about on TLC of a girl who is by her own description. I think it's my big fat life or something like that. I mean, it's how happy she is just being a very large woman. Sports Illustrated is now using plus size models in their swimsuit edition. There are other places. Is this a good thing that we are making it okay? Or is it a dangerous thing that we're making it okay? Because this is not just about aesthetics and about looks. It's not just about appearances. It's about health as well. Now, but there's health and there's mental health. It's, this is the why it's such a difficult question. You can be fat and healthy. I'm not. <laughs> um, <laughs> I not, am fat. Not. <laughs> I'm not all that healthy. Um, but I suppose that that is possible. Um, one doesn't have to preclude the other. Um, normalizing things is not um, what it's about. It's about making sure that uh, um, it's... It's treating people equally. It's it's all that stuff. So you can't walk up to somebody in the food court who's 400 pounds and tell them to put that cheeseburger down. Right. Not because... Would we have ever done that? I don't know. Oh, would we have, there's we would have whispered. Would. We yeah, would have whispered behind their back. People would have whispered. But would, have, would people have gone up before and said something to people? Oh, I think so. Yeah, you think so? Absolutely. Okay. All right. Absolutely. And I think um, morbidly obese people over the last 20 years are more comfortable... Uh, eating publicly than they ever were before because of how it's been normalized and the world is getting fatter and you're not allowed to besmirch anybody for anything. And Scott, from a mental health perspective, that's a good thing. We don't want someone who is dealing with an issue with their weight or with their size feeling horrible all the time for it. But at the same time, I don't think we also want to, do we, to say... That's fine. Just go ahead and live like that as you want. Well, I, I, I don't. I again, this becomes a very difficult thing between the mental health and the physical health side of this. I, I'm kind of surprised to to hear kind of what you're saying because you in many uh, areas are are kind of a libertarian. Get the nanny, I am. get the nanny state off our back. I am. Right? So really, to me, um, no, I don't have the right to criticize you if you're overweight. You're going to do what you're going to do. Go live your life. Agreed. You know and. I should stay out of your face. And I don't know if it's normalization or what it is, but yeah, we don't have the right to jump down people's throats and, you know, harass them, um, make them feel terrible because they're carrying extra weight. That's them. I agree with you 1,000% that we should, I, I would never go up to someone and go, oh, you know what? You could stand to lose a few pounds. Mm-hmm. That, that's not. Only smokers are left to be discriminated against. That is the only And thing rightfully so, I say. <laughs> <laughs> he says to the guy who just came back in from a smoke break. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, and only certain smokers, because in a few, well, mm. probably right now, if you were to pull out a joint, you'd be considered one of the cool guys, and we, th- we would encourage you now in Canada to do that, because that's something new and fun. I would but never. If, but if you were to pull out a cigarette... Yes. You are a filthy person Terrible. who is killing yourself. That's the only thing I can think of left that is universally so okay. So why, why is it then okay for us to sneer? And I'm not a smoker, Scott. You're, are you a smoker? Nope. You ever been a smoker? Nope. I've never been. But why is it okay for us, and we have not done this to you, but to sneer at you sneer for smoking, but if we were to do the same thing for someone who is 400 pounds and in the mall food court eating four cheeseburgers, right. that would be terribly impolite and completely wrong to do that. Why, what's the difference? Um, that smokers have not taken on the public perception as uh, a victim of a disease yet, a victim of addiction. That's all. That we. So we, that's all it takes? Is if you guys, if the smokers, not you guys, if the smokers yeah. could rise up together and say, we are all victims here. We're, we suffer from a disease. We're addicted to nicotine. I think actually smokers at one point sort of did that and they were shouted down by everybody else. Um, There was, you know, I can't remember letter after letter after letter in the spec about saying how my my rights are being taken away. They are. You know, and yeah, people who who wrote in uh, with those letters were like shouted down as now we would pile on on the Internet with, uh, you know, vicious tweets and all that sort of stuff. Right. 
I've, I've argued long and hard that I cannot fathom how it is in this city or any other city that we are saying, if you go to a public park and you're outdoors watching your kid's soccer game, mm-hmm. you're not allowed to smoke. Mm-hmm. I, I understand if you're in an enclosed building, I, I get that now, but we've made laws now that say if you're outdoors where the wind is going to pick it up and carry it up and take it, and okay, so someone catches a teeny tiny whiff, and again, you're not, I'm not talking about blowing it in someone's face, but we, that is, that is so seriously antisocial almost now. Smoking is almost seen as antisocial. Verboten. Now, very when, much. When that law came to be that no city of Hamilton public space um, could have smoking on it, I was on television debating somebody who, um, their claim was that they were jogging um, around Bayfront Park and just choking on the smoke of people sitting on the park benches. So run faster. <laughs> for that, you know, four little steps to get... No, it's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. Uh, look, I, I have argued, and we're, we're off on a smoking now, and that's fine. I, but I've argued... But you see my point, though. I do, and I've argued that that is no different. Uh, what happens with a smoker is no different than the person, man or woman, who walks into the office slathered in cologne or in perfume that I have to now... Of course. Or, or see, and that we're allowed to say something about. If someone walks into the office and they have been dunking themselves into aqua velva. It's okay to say, can you please, we have to make a a rule. But if you walk in, Scott, not you, but let's say you did. If you walk in having not bathed for three days and you are reeking of BO, I can't say anything to you. No. That's now a personal thing. Right. I I think the the demarcation line is somebody who's, you know, heavily doused with cologne or perfume, people actually have physical allergic reactions to it sometimes. So you are causing them harm. And that's the argument behind smoking, too. Secondhand smoke, you are causing me harm. But if Joe's eating a cheeseburger over in the corner, he is not causing me harm. He is causing you harm because it's, it's our universal health care. So if, if you are unhealthy because you are overweight and you are having more medical issues and we have limited hospitals doctor availability and otherwise, when you need medical, the guy who either got lung cancer from smoking or had whatever health issues from overeating has put you further back in the line. Yeah, if you're going to take that argument, that's the same thing with you smoking. I I just said it is the same. Of course it is. But we all pay into it, though. And the difference is the cheeseburger is taxed, the cigarette is taxed. Um, You can't have it both ways. But fat people, like morbidly obese people, are prevented levels of the med- access to the medical system because they are at risk. You're going to need l- to lose weight before you have this procedure. So let's go back to the question then because, and this has all been good, but is it a positive thing then that we, that society, that entertainment, that TV, that other things have said if you are on the scale of obesity, that's fine. And again, I say for the mental health argument, yes, that, that is a good thing that people don't feel shamed that they have to stay in their house and hide. Some people uh, are obese because they have mental health problems. That could be too. But is it a good thing that we're saying stay as you are because it's... And, and if this sounds judgmental, that's not what it's intended to be. I'm talk again. It goes back to the fact that this doctor is saying this is our largest healthcare crisis on the planet right now is obesity and and people who are overweight. This is not picking on the odd person. There's 2.2 billion of us who are out there who are overweight to some degree or another or obese. You know what the fattest country in the world is? I think, if I recall from it, I think it was Egypt. Uh, United Arab Emirates. Okay, I thought it was yeah. easy, but okay. So, but, According to Vice. And I can't... And, a reliable source. Yes. But, okay, uh, so it's not the states, which would have been a lot of people going, oh, right. of course yeah, it's the states. states. No, not it's not the close. states. And, and I said this last night on the show. When I was a kid and we went down to the states a few times, we used to comment on how fat the Americans were. And now we're really not much different, no. if any different no. at all. It's... And it is not just the people. The, but it, it, it just hasn't worked since the days of Hal and Joanne and participation back in you know, mm. way back. <laughs> <laughs> you cannot force people to get healthy. You can't. They're going to do what they're going to do. There, there can't be 
a morbidly obese person who thinks that it's okay, like okay self-esteem, but it's not okay health-wise. Just like there's no smoker who thinks that smoking's not hurting them. Do, do, do smokers do smokers think that, do they, do smokers acknowledge as they're smoking that this is bad for them? Right. Well, it's it's do bad you? for other smokers. Oh, okay, not I am immortal. <laughs> <laughs> it's course, because you've yeah. coated yourself with tar on the inside. Exactly. Nothing's yeah, going to get through that. Perfect now. mix. <laughs> As I say, I, I, I find it I find it interesting. I find it um, a real challenge. I find it a real challenge because you are you are pitting the mental health and the emotional health against the physical health, mm-hmm. and I don't know which one should be taking or in society. And Scott, you you mentioned a moment ago about the libertarianism. Uh, you're right. I tend to be, let's leave the government. What I'm talking about is not saying the government should crack down and say, if you weigh a certain amount, we should take away your fatty foods and only give you organic kale. Or charge you twice as much for health care. I'm not talking about that stuff because as Lauren said, and he's absolutely right, we all do something that harms us health-wise. We all have something in our life that does something that is not good for us. I mean, I'm with the work and stuff I do, I don't smoke. I don't eat a ton of bad food, but I live a pretty sedentary lifestyle right now. That's bad for me. I should be doing way more exercise. I know that, right? So we all have something. So it's not about the government swooping in and taking away your cheese doodles or whatever you have as your snack at home. It's a question of, should we be telling you, we don't tell smokers, go ahead. It's fine. Feel good about yourself. We don't tell people like me who don't do any exercise. It's okay. Just sit around. But we're now saying it's okay if you're heavily overweight. Feel good about yourself. And that, that to me, is the balance. Are we saying it's okay if you're heavily overweight? Or are we saying we shouldn't, we shouldn't be critical? We shouldn't put you down? I agree with that. Because we shouldn't. Is, I, I think that's more what we're getting at here. I don't think it's necessarily we're saying it's okay to be but just a morbidly second. obese. But maybe not morbidly obese even. But if again, if you go back to Sports Illustrated made a big deal right. in the last couple of years about having a plus size. Now, she was not, I would not describe her as obese, no. but she was definitely more than curvy. She was more than curvy. She's not. Th- this is not one step up from the usually anorexic right. models. This is someone that if she was walking down the street wearing tight jeans, you would say she's a fair, a big girl, size, Rubenesque, a Rubenette. That's a perfect Rubenesque word, Rubenesque woman. Thank you, Softy. And so that is clearly the attempt. There is clearly to say that is sexy. Now that 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 is that may be sexy for for a lot of people. That may be, but it also is. I would think that if you, if based on the body mass index and the things we know now that doctors tell us qualify as overweight, she would qualify as overweight. It doesn't make her a bad person. It doesn't make her an evil person. But we're saying be like that. That's that's really. I, I don't think we are saying are be we like not? that. I don't think I don't think we're. If you that. but wait a second, those Scots. Um, <laughs> if if we. Um, were being terrible by having the anorexic and that was influencing people, Mm -hmm. then by not having the anorexic, isn't it still influencing people? See, I would argue that having anorexic models is equally or is at, is is bad as well. We shouldn't no, be course. telling and we shouldn't be telling girls be like that either. No. That's that's also a dangerous uh, thing. Uh, of course, but then f- swapping it out for overweight has to have the same influence on a cover m- to cover. Sports Illustrated issue, right? It's, like, yeah, it's yeah. a very. It's uh, again, it's, it's got to be like what you are is what you are, and if you should be comfortable in whatever frame you're in. And I don't think it has to do with judgments on health or judgments on, uh, you know, whether this is right or wrong. I think it's it's more getting to a point where people can feel comfortable in their own skin, no matter how much of it they have. You know? <laughs> That's a great ending. Yeah. Um, it, what do you think about this? Now, uh, send me an email, Radley at nine hundred chml dot com. Where do you fall into this thing? Because uh, as I said right off the top, it's a really difficult and a really delicate thing. We are not, as we're chatting here, we're not mocking or making fun or putting anyone down for being heavy. The question is, this stems from a health crisis situation. It's not an aesthetic thing. No one's saying, oh man, you've got a few extra pounds. You've got some, some rolls around the hips. You don't look as good. No, no, no. This is entirely from a health 
perspective, and there's 2.2 billion people, and many of them, there's 20. The doctor last night said there are 20 diseases that are directly resulting from people being overweight or obese. That's a problem. That's a problem. That is not just, hey, here's how you look, or here's our judging you on your looks. Well, I'd love to hear from you. Radley at 900CHML.com. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900CHML. Gentlemen, there was a situation in Toronto this week and last few weeks now it's been going on for that there are, we all know we have here in Hamilton, we have a, a, a program that runs a school liaison officers, the police in the schools to be there. And, and on the one hand, I suppose you're visually flexing the muscles of having a cop in the school to keep law and order. On the other hand, they're there to prevent bullying and to talk with kids and make people feel comfortable around the police and be a friend and all those kind of things. Uh, in Toronto, there was a group that said, no, no, this is frightening. It's intimidating. It's, uh, it really is out of place. We should not have police officers marching around in the halls of schools. Now, this came to a vote for now. It has survived and will continue on. Can you see that argument? Can you see the argument that says a kid goes to school and there's a cop there that is intimidating and that is throwing off that kid and making it uncomfortable for him or her to be in class? This is daily. This cop is in the school every day. That's their assignment. They're like, you know, we have downtown foot patrol officers. These cops, they're in. If it's not every day, they might have two schools, so it might be every second day, but they're there regularly. Safety cop stuff, that kind of stuff? This is not like Elmer, the safety elephant stuff. This is is police work. This is, they are in the school. They have a little drugs. They, they may, yeah. They, and, and some, some public outreach, that kind of thing. Yeah. We want to, we want kids to be comfortable around police. We want them to see us not as the bad guys. Right. And so if I'm, if I'm the cop in school and Lauren walks by, Hey Lauren, how are you? And you become Don't a little friendly. <laughs> that's exactly. <laughs> but you become friendly and you go, Hey, you know what? Cops are okay. That's part of it. That's part of it. It's about building a relationship, but it's, you know, if you're having, if you're being bullied or the cop senses that there's some bullying going on, he can. I, I don't know how intervene intervene in somehow, but you know it's one way I, or another. I wouldn't want my kids to go to school where a cop is needed in that school, but some of them are right. Yeah, some of them I, are. I get that. Yeah, and that's the, that's the hard part. I mean, is this uh, cop in the hallway? Is he uh, window dressing, or is he there because he needs to be there? Somebody needs to be there. Well, wh- wh- when you say Lauren, when you say that you wouldn't want your kid to go to a school that needs it, yeah. In Toronto, I won't talk about Hamilton right now, uh, but in Toronto, there are schools in the downtown where you would say, oh, they probably could use a cop. But you go out to these suburban schools, and we know darn well there's probably more drug dealing going on in the suburban schools and more social interaction and bullying and stuff going on. It may be different things you're dealing with, but it's not like one of them is pristine and one of them is welcome to the jungle kind of stuff. So regardless of what school you're at, your kid probably needs something there, whether it's a cop or whether it's just... I don't believe by any means that all schools are equally safe for your child. I agree with you. That drugs exist in all schools? Absolutely. The, the level gang of, activity is stronger in some schools right. than sure, it is in Violence others. happens in some sure. oh, yes. more frequently than others. So. I'm saying there are issues in all schools. Of course. It's not always the same stuff, but there's stuff. Yeah. And... Look at the famous stories that we've heard over the years of bullying that have led to suicides or whatever else. Very often, those are not in dangerous inner city schools. They're in suburban schools where you would say these are upper middle class kids. So there's stuff that happens wherever you are. Of course. So can you see the argument that this is an intimidation and this is a scary thing for some kids, or is that a snowflake argument? That kind well, of or, or is that, or is that a, a, I don't know. I don't know what the, what even the alternative to that would be that we don't want them in there because they're cops and because they're bad or because whatever. They're biased against my people. Well, I mean, yeah, I don't like seeing a cop when I'm driving, when I'm speeding. <laughs> right? right, of course. And right. when I'm not speeding, it's just a cop car. Yep. So if you if you get my sort of metaphor there, 
Well, I think I think it also depends on the attitude of the cop. I mean, if he's there, you know, intentionally um, making himself into a, a sort of a heavy presence in the, in the building, that's that's one thing, you know. If he's not, if he's just interacting with the kids and you know trying to keep it level and calm, that's a different thing altogether. But Scott, do we not live in a time right now? We've seen it with the in Toronto with the Pride Parade, wanting the police not to be involved. Do we not live in a time when there are people of all races and religions and creeds and everything else who see the police as that uniform as intimidating and distracting? Yes, and and sadly. I'm one to say, one of the first to say, that the police have done this to themselves. Not necessarily, you know, the Hamilton Police Service, although I have met some guys on the Hamilton Police Service who could use, you know, a remedial training session for sure. But we have increasingly, over the last couple of decades, militarized the police, bought them heavier and heavier weapons, heavier and heavier armor, uh, you know, stun grenades, military equipment, basically. And they say, well, you know, the bad guys have got this bull. There might be one out of a hundred bad guys who have that kind of firepower. But we've been selling military, ex-military vehicles to to police services for over, well over a decade now. And that kind of intimidation, that kind of, you know, they show up to keep the peace, and they're all in riot gear with shields and, and batons and masks and stuff. That kind of a line out there isn't to keep the peace. It's to intimidate. And it's to make you say, we better not mess around here because we're going to get it if we do. It's intentional. And the police services across North America have done this to themselves over the last three decades. So, you know, do I have a lot of sympathy in that? Yeah, you know, I can understand how that came to be. The gay community had issues with the Toronto Police Department over 30 years ago in regards to the bathhouse raids. The Toronto Police and the gay community have no issue. And I, I don't mean to throw out a blank statement like that, but that is not a community that is persecuted by police. They were banned from taking part in Pride due to their... Uh, Toronto Pride's management's political bent and otherwise that occupy um, Toronto and and all that kind of nonsense people got in there. It doesn't make any sense. The um, Israeli apartheid float is there and the the uh, everybody should pee on Israel float exists at Pride. Meanwhile, Israel's the only country in the Middle East where it is safe to be gay. Toronto Pride doesn't understand that they are about LGBTQ issues. They are a political advocacy group that has no business. So I'm only going on that rant to take the gay issue out of it because that it, it's not there for any reason. No, but the reason that they are, for example, not in the parade is because there are those who are... Because of Black Lives Matter. Right. But it's not the Toronto black gay Parade, right? Like, that's not it. No, but it's, but no, you're right. But it has become an issue. The police have become a hot point, flash point, whatever you want to call it, issue that that uniform has caught, makes some people apparently very upset. And so when you then inject a person in that uniform into a high school, does it make people comfortable? Does it make people learn to be respecting of the police and comfortable with the police? Or does it intimidate people? I, would I tend to think, see, I'm, I'm 100% of the opinion that they should be there. I think it's a positive thing that the police are in the schools. Provided, as Scott said, provided the cop is not in there throwing people against lockers and beating them up, which we have never seen, never heard of, have no case of that that I've ever heard even a whiff of. That's, that's a different thing. But just a cop being You put there? your hand up to be an in-school cop. You've got to have an affinity towards yes. dealing yeah. with... Yeah. And do you remember for the longest time who the who the high school cop was? Jack Vanderpool. Right. Who was Harry former, Mason. Yeah. And wasn't it Barry Munger before that? Mm-hmm. So these giant nifty guys in uniform that are six foot ten, um, really they were making people feel intimidated? And I don't... 
Well, no, and again, this is not in Hamilton. This is in I Toronto it, where this but, happened. But yes, and, and, and I would expect that the people who are the cops who are in the schools, the liaison officers, would be the same type of people. I, I really don't believe that when the police went down their line, like when they're doing their parade one morning, they found the one guy who was having a crappy day and he goes, oh man, I just hate kids. You go, oh yeah, you'll be in the school. Right. That's, yeah. that's yeah. not how you're picking no, these people. And I agree. I don't, think that, I don't think the kids should be intimidated. I think that's a red herring altogether. You know, we need more interaction between police and people, but there has to be a realization that, uh, like I said, the increasing militarization of police services across North America over the last 20 years is part of why we have a crisis between cops and citizens these days. I would I would hope because uh, this was a Toronto thing. I would really hope we've not heard any evidence that it's that I've heard of yet that it's coming to Hamilton or that anyone's going to try to pull or suggest the Hamilton police because everything I've ever heard about this program has been positive. Everything I've ever heard about this program. Could there have been a situation once or twice where someone was maybe, maybe somebody felt whatever at one point, but I've never heard of any wrongdoing, any malfeasance, any improper behavior, anything other than good reports and people saying this was a positive thing that they learned to respect police and they got along with police and saw the police weren't dangerous and weren't scary. It's all positive. I would seriously hope that we never actually have this thing because you know what? Everything that happens in Toronto eventually trickles down the highway and one way or another we get little bits of it. I hope that's not one of them. That's why this city's called Toronto Junior. (laughs) Toronto Light. You're listening to The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900 CHML. This is Father's Day weekend. And I saw a story this week that said people spend way less money on Father's Day than they do on Mother's Day. And if they, if Father's Day and Mother's Day were celebrated on the same day, so you had to pick and choose, 78% say they would choose to celebrate Mother's Day instead. Now, we all have kids. And this is not us lobbying for better gifts, at least not to start with. Uh, We'll see where it goes. But I find this interesting because is this simply the case that we have in our society that fathers for the last couple generations, many fathers anyway, have done such a crappy job of being fathers that they either abandon, they walk away, they're not involved with their kids, whatever else. Is this a case of fathers have brought this upon themselves that mothers are the heroes of the family? Or is this something else that, that has led to this? Is our mothers just... Mothers need the love more. That's <laughs> you think so? Difference. Absolutely. You think so? Yeah. Mothers, uh, mothers have a better promotional record. That's what I think is... <laughs> you know, I mean, that... The whole thing on Mother's Day was dreamed up by a British greeting card company to, to promote their greeting cards. And, you know, mother is the heart of the home sort of thing, right? So it was established before any thought about Father's Day. And I would disagree with you, Scott. I think in the last two decades, fathers are do, probably doing a better job as fathers than they have been in those generations. Who, those who stick around. Those who stick around, I would agree with you on that. They're more active, but are more involved. But there are a lot of there. I, I, I'd have to go look up the numbers. I should have done it before we came on. Single mothers. The number of single mothers is way higher now than it probably has ever been before. In fact, I'm positive that's the case. Which means that fathers are not in the picture. So yes, yeah, so those who are involved are really involved. I think you're right. But there's a lot who aren't. And so if you don't have a father who's involved in any way, shape, or form, why would you want to celebrate Father's Day? Yeah, good question. Yeah, and and Mother's Day, it's pretty typical that if you've lost your mother or otherwise, we, we celebrate grandmothers and those who assume a motherly role and, and include maternal instincts across the board wherever it could. There's none of that for Father's Day. No, we're not nurturing kind of guys. It's mom that does that, you know? Let me ask you another one. And this one, this one has been a contentious issue because some people say every time you raise this, you're picking on something that doesn't really exist and you're playing, oh, woe is me. But if you were to look around on TV in the last 15 or 20 years, almost every father on a sitcom is a buffoon. Almost everyone. Mm -hmm. The mother is, as you say, the heartbeat of the family. Mm -hmm. She holds it together. And dad is the goofball who can barely tie his own shoes, let alone do anything useful. Does that have any impact? When you have... When you have popular culture again and again and again and again telling you dad's a goofball and mom is the one who really made this happen, does that have an impact? Well, sadly, um, (laughs) 
It may be true in some <laughs> cases, but... Yeah, sadly, I know it's an exaggeration and a, a cliche and what have you, but every cliche has a root of truth, mm-hmm. right? And there are an awful lot of dads out there, and I might be one of them, <laughs> but uh, there are an awful lot of dads out there who get detached, shall we say, at home and uh, you know, in their own little world. So they're not paying attention to the daily uh, schedule, what needs to be done, what doesn't need to be done, and who needs to be picked up when. And, you know, we're going to this uh, party or we're going to this social function later in the week and we need this on Wednesday directly. No, that stuff, dads are really bad at the organizing stuff, and I'm the first to admit that. So it's not really a surprise to me that part of that gets reflected or exaggerated uh, in social media and, and sitcoms and television, wherever. How would it play, though, if there was a sitcom where mom was a complete buffoon and dad was the brilliant I, architect of the family? Is there, is there, are there any that are out there like that? Uh, married with children would be close to that. Yeah. Except Al Bundy was equally as buffoonish no, as Peggy. Oh, come on. Yeah. At least he went to work every day. Well, like, yeah, they were both. Like everyone in that family. In that, on worse. that sitcom, okay, marginally, perhaps. All in but the family. All the, Why? Well, Edith no. was lovely. Yeah, she was yeah. lovely. And but she, she was, was the, but, but, chicken head. But. No, but that, was, but that exactly is a perfect example because Archie is this racist, misogynist, buffoonish goofball, and Edith is... A simpleton, <laughs> but she was the heartbeat of the family who kept everyone together. And the kids loved Edith and Archie was, you know, meathead tolerated him. It's, it's the, the very different. Earliest episodes of the Simpsons when Smithers was a black man, for example, going way, way back. He was at one point. Yeah. No, I didn't know that. Um, Homer was legit and the victim of all the hijinks and Marge was intolerable. I'd have to go back. We're what, Abs- 24 years into the Simpsons. I've lost like track. Like Tracy Ullman bits, right? The, the f- season one. Yeah. It's it's a very interesting, I mean, again, you, commercials, it's always the father who doesn't know what he's doing. There's always, if, you're, if there's guys cutting the grass, he's always, you know, it, whatever it is. And I, I can't believe that this doesn't have some impact on the perception, especially again, and here's the thing, there are those, you are one of them, Lauren Scott, you are one of them, where you're involved with your kids, where your kids know you and love you and you have worked with them and you've spent time with them. I don't believe that that kind of pop culture stuff has that impact then because they've seen a real life father who overrides those stereotypes. But if you don't have a dad in the picture, I think those kind of things can have a real impact. I I really do. I think that there's a reason why companies advertise and show the same ad over and over and over because you see it enough times and the belief is if I see a burger from a rest, from a place, a fast food place enough times, I'm going to get hungry and I'm going to feel I need to go get that. If you see the, if you don't have anything else to compare it to and you see the buffoon dad over and over and over, hmm. I believe that it has an impact. I, I don't know. I couldn't say that one way or another. You'd have to pull out some, you know, sociological study or, or something, some research somewhere. Um, I find it more the other way. I, I get teased a lot. Because uh, there are things that are recognized on television that I may or may not have done, depending on who you talk to in the household uh, in the past. So, you know, there are, there are bits there where you, you, you get teased for being like whatever. So I don't know if it's presence or absence that, that you know, hmm. reflects that. But uh, I agree with you. There's the portrayal of fathers or men in general, I think, in a lot of... Uh, sitcoms is they're the idiots and the women are the ones that are keeping it all together. Scott, is your dad still alive? No, no, long gone. Tell, tell me about him though. For, take, take 30 seconds and tell me about your dad. My dad? Well, um, he was gone by the time I was seven. So it was a, it was a brief, uh, you know, sort of understanding. And it was much later in my life when I, I got back together with him for a, a time. Um, and I was I was an adult basically, and a lot of water had been under the bridge at that point. So we never had what was called you know any kind of a cl- uh, close relationship really. And if you're looking for a role model, not so much, right? But still, that's that hasn't deterred me from my kids and and being part of their lives. And I think part of it was I felt I really I didn't want them to have to go through what mm-hmm. I went through. Lauren, what about you? Is your dad still alive? My dad is still alive in his early 80s. What's his name? Albert. Um, he is a, a real character. He's a good guy. Um, but in regards to father 
childhood and otherwise very different father than my father um me to my son is no like a whole other ball game from from uh, the kind of father that i had and that's not just a matter of choice it's it's evolution the the roles change personalities um, and um scenarios that are specific to the dynamic um my son grew up very differently than i grew up and um yeah he's a good guy i, I didn't choose to raise my son the way he fathered me um but that's all well and good and uh Regretfully, I won't see him this Father's Day. Our schedules didn't work. But Junior's coming home. He's on the highway right now. I, my dad is uh, my dad's still around, thankfully. Uh, Ron, and I got to tell you, I lucked out because I got the what I think was the best dad ever. Um, couldn't have done better. Honestly, couldn't have done better. Was the only dad who was at every one of my high school basketball games. Took time off work, would <laughs> always come out. Every one of my hockey games. Um tolerated me bringing home report cards that nearly killed him. <laughs> he was an academic. He did very well in the business world and in the, he was in the legal world. And when I would come home with report cards that, I mean, he had been great in university and in high school and I, I, I swear I nearly did him in. But he loved me nonetheless and here we are. And I, uh, I can't say, and, and here's the thing, he, like you just said, Scott, his relationship with his dad was not good. But he took that and said he was going to be the best possible father. He was going to do everything the opposite of what his dad did, and he absolutely did it. It was He's been great. On Father's Day that's coming, are you a father or are you a son to your father? Are you honoring father or are you being honored? If you had, like, it would tilted. Be, no, it would be both. Uh, it, for sure, it's going to be both, but it would be, see, I still, it's difficult. It's different, not difficult. It's different because my son is still at home, so it's right there. Right. But I still think of myself I st- mentally, emotionally, I still think of myself as about 16, as 18. I still feel wildly immature, and every time I do something physically that backs up what I think I am, I hurt myself. So I know I, and so I still think of myself as a son. I think I always, and I wonder, and your dad is gone, I wonder if that changes when they go someday, hopefully many years from now. I wonder if that changes. Yeah, it does, it does to some extent, because even though you know, my father and I were not really close, um, the impact of his death was pretty substantial on yeah. me, the fact that he was gone. It's, uh, thankfully, we all had fathers, and uh, to some degree or another. It's, uh, and Dad, I love you, and um, he's probably listening. The Scott Radley Show, weeknights from 7 to 9 on AM 900. AM 900 CHML.